Okay. So after having a month away from all of you, we're now returning and a wonderful devotee with me today, although she will never admit it or even, I mean, she's very humble, so she would never, <laughs> she'll just shake her head and say, no, no, no. But I'm so happy that Bhakti Ross has joined us. She is somebody that I've known for many, many years and um, Krishna keeps putting us in the same circles, it seems. We've had many intersections in our journey and um, I'm really, really, really happy to have you here. So um, just, to, just to bring everybody up to speed, what we've been doing, we've been doing these, wonder, these interviews with devotees from our Sangha, um, the beauty and the messiness of the Sadaka's journey. And the intention of these interviews has been <clears throat> several fold. Well, one, one of the things is for us to just be able to come together and know, get to know each other more. Um, I, I mean, I learned things about devotees that I've known for 40 years on, on these interviews. I, like, I never knew that about you. <laughs> it's a, so new, new information comes out and... Um, and also sharing our struggles is so faith building because we all have our struggles and sometimes we feel very alone, like we're the only one that has ever gone through what we're going through and we maybe don't have, we're afraid to talk about it or share it with others. And so what I've been seeing from these interviews is that <clears throat> devotees have been really encouraged by hearing other devotees share similar challenges and struggles and how they've gotten through it. And so I think that's been, for me, one of the most exciting parts of these um, interviews. And so just the appreciation for one another and feeling, you know, building our community, um, which is international. And we have a Sangha and we, some of us will never probably meet each other in person. So these kind of, um, discussions and classes are so important. So I'm gonna read Bhakti Ross's um, bio and then we're gonna launch into her interview. And I don't want her to get nervous, so I'm gonna read real fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Bhakti Ross is in, she says she's an aspiring disciple of Swami B.V. Chaburi. And again, that's, her humility, and she, I guess she's an aspiring wife of Dula Chandra also. <laughs> and she's the mom of Sham Saki Dasi. Some of you may know that beautiful soul. Um, and she met devotees in the early 1980s while she was attending college at Penn State. Um, she got, <clears throat> she was initiated um, into the Gaudiya Sampradaya by His Holiness Satsur Das Goswami, who was very kind and generous to her. And in 2011, in a causeless and spontaneous tidal wave of mercy, His Holiness Swami B.V. Tripuri accepted her into his Sangha, where she has remained his aspiring Shisha. So after meeting devotees, um, she had the great fortune of always living in the Association of Devotees. Um, her first 10 years um, in temple ashrams um, 
State College Preaching Center, ISCON Potomac, that's where I first met you, um, ISCON Baltimore, ISCON Dallas, and the remainder in devotional communities or in Seva to Vaishnavs, Prabhupada Village, Winston-Salem, where she and her husband became the preaching center, and lastly, Sargrahi, where she and her husband became the ashram for, <laughs> for many more years than they ever expected. <laughs> and she has been blessed with a, a very strong, healthy body and mind, and I can attest to that. And she can figure stuff out. So she's been given a lot of opportunities to be engaged in service to the devotees, which to me is the value, which to her is the value of her life. So Vaishnav Seva is the number one in front of the Anadi zeros. So that's, that's a big number. Take it away and there, take, take that away. And then there is less than nothing. Add it and everything that has brought her here to this point has meaning. So materially speaking, she's a, jack, she's a jack of all trades and the master of none. So I definitely agree with that. She's a jack of all trades, but she really does master a lot of things. Um, she said she'd be good to be ship, shipwrecked on an island, which I kind of... Um, she said, but don't call me if you need a fine craftsman. If you build your island shack, it'll, it will mostly um, assuredly be wabi-sabi, but it will be dry inside. So anyway, I appreciated that statement because when I was thinking about introducing Bhakti Ross before I read her bio, I was thinking, yeah, she'd be one of the people I would pick to be on a, on a desert <laughs> island or something but, you know because she's she's like so practical and she met she's a manifester she can take she figures things out she's a soft problem solver and she's just brilliant and in, in her practical life skills and yeah her and my son those would be probably my first two people i would grab to take with us and then of course papanava swami and guru Maharaj, i will take them too but if we want to survive, physically survive, I know I would take these two. Um, her services over the years um, include state college. She, she planned, shopped for, and cooked three feasts a week for 100 people each. Now, that's mind-boggling to me since I can barely cook for me and Sumati. Um, book distribution. We did a little bit of that together. <laughs> so soul paintings to support development of a project. Collected funds for Gita Nagri press, buttons and stickers. We did some of that together. Um, sewn Didi outfits for Nitai Gorsundar in Baltimore, Gor Radhamadava in Sargrahi. Um, Pujari for Nitai Gorsundar co-managed the ISKCON Baltimore Temple, cooked for the Baltimore Gurukula Temple, managed a painting business, Dallas Temple Business, built a 300 square foot house from trees on the land in the devotee community, working under the inspiration of live in the lap of nature and depend on Krishna. Graphic design, layout, photo processing, processing for the Bhakti Vedanta archives, 
started a website development business called Light My Web, <clears throat> started and managed retail business Kindred Spirits that supported the BBT books distributors and later the development of Sargrahi. She's organized interfaith peace festivals in Winston-Salem on International Day of Peace, organized public events for devotee speakers and performers, started an online interfaith magazine called Pangea, is that how you say pronounce it? Revisited, where leaders of different spiritual traditions participated. She hosted Sunday feast programs for 50 plus guests, project development of Sargrahi Inward Publishers, offers publishing services to self-publishing authors, book covers, interior design, layout, ebooks, online publishing websites. And she's currently working on inherent or inherit, inherent or inherited bhakti in the jiva by Swami Pamanava Swami. So that's going to be a wonderful, exciting book to have come out. And she currently lives in Western North Carolina, USA, with her husband, two cows, and three deities. So this devotee is a powerhouse. And <laughs> something she, she did also recently was she built a barn for her, her babies, her cows. And she had no money. And she just got things came to her. Krishna provided what she needed. And somehow she has, the, they have a five-star accommodation at this point because of her love and devotion for the cows. So thank you. So I'm going to ask you, you, the first question I'm going to ask you is, um, when you were growing up, did you, were there any clues in your life that you were not somebody that was supposed to just live the ordinary mundane life, that there was something bigger in your future, something spiritual? Well, I can't really say that I was aware that what I was experiencing was saying that I was something different and had something bigger to do. It was just making it obvious. Um, I didn't know there was something bigger to do. All I knew was the material life, the world that I had um, at my disposal was not working. I mean, I, as a child, I was even very depressed and um, I most like, I mean, I was, I've, you know, I didn't believe in suicide, even as a child, because I just knew instinctively that I would have to come back and do it all over again. And it was not a solution. And it was such a bummer because um, what else is there, you know? If ending your life doesn't solve the problem, I mean, my God, how do you go on? So this is how I lived my life as a child growing, growing up. Um, 
not knowing that there was a solution, just knowing that I wasn't living it. And uh, I didn't think of anything special about myself, but my grandmother did. She, uh, and she thought I was a saint and that my, you know, sorry to say, but this is what I've been told, that my urine was holy water to her. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, grandmothers. I don't but, think my grandmother ever said that to me. <laughs> but she was very um, spiritual. I was raised Catholic, although I wasn't, they didn't, um, they weren't strict Catholic or anything, but I went to catechism and Catholic church. They didn't go to church, but they made sure I went to church. And, um, but yeah, my grandmother was very sweet. She was actually Cuban. I'm Cuban. Don't I look Cuban? Yeah, you really do. Uh, you know, the dark olive skin <laughs> and dark hair. Yeah, no. But she came over like even on a boat. So I'm an illegal, really. Um, but yeah, she was she was awesome. Uh, she lived with us while I was growing up for many, many years. But um, my father was an alcoholic and he was not a, a nice drunk. He was, although he was, you know, considered a, he was an executive in a company and he was fully functional and, you know, accepted in his group. Um, I, I, I'm the fourth child in our family. I'm the last, I'm the last one. My next oldest sister is eight years older than me. So there's quite a span. So by the time I came around, I never knew my father not to be intoxicated. Like that was his normal, his normal stage. Um, it, you know, anyway, he downgraded from there, but so it didn't work very well with my grandmother because he, um, was kind of abusive to her, especially. So she split and went and lived with my aunt. So, mm. but it was kind of good because then I was able to go and stay with her too sometimes and get get away from, get out of the house. So that was good. My two older sisters, um, you know, they left quite early. My one sister left when she was 16 and my other sister left when she was 17, so. They escaped. How, that how old? How old were you when you left? When what? When you? How old were you when you left home? When I left home? Mm -hmm. Um, I went to college. So you didn't not, but, but that's when you left home was when you went to college. Yeah, but it kind of changed. I I was lucky because my we kept moving farther and farther away from my dad's work, mm. so we moved to New Jersey. So then he would only come home late at night. And then we moved to Pennsylvania, but he still had the same job. So he would only come home on the weekends. So that was kind of like a, a saving grace. And when, my, when he'd come home on the weekends, then my sister would go stay in his apartment in New York. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, that's he was, love. He was an impetus for, for getting out of the material. Yeah, and he was a, he was a, a tortured soul himself. Mm -hmm. You know, he what he had his obviously he had his own struggles and didn't know the answer either. Um, 
you didn't know the solution either. So I, I hold no, no bad feelings for him, except for the fact that I wasn't able to help him soon enough. But I do remember going to your wedding. Yes. He was there and he yeah. was wearing a dhoti. I know. And my mom is sorry. And yeah. they did have, when I, once I became a devotee, um, you know, they were going to have me deprogrammed. Um, they had it all arranged with Ted Patrick, the mm -hmm. deprogrammer at the time. And the cost was $17,000, you know, many, many years ago in the 1980s. So um, he had told me, you know, so I found out about it and I had asked him, you know, why didn't you do it? So it was this, this moment that my father had that actually saved him. He said, there's two reasons why he didn't do it. One was because he didn't have anything better to give me. He didn't wow. have any philosophy to give me. Wow. And the second one was he was afraid that I might be right. Wow. So wow. through it all, all of that other stuff was totally erased by the few seconds of clarity that he had because he canceled the I was supposed to be picked up one week before graduating from Penn State. Wow. And it was and he he called it off at that last minute. So then, of course, I asked, well, what about the money? Could I could I have that now? <laughs> <laughs> Since you didn't give it to them, can I have it? <laughs> uh, he said no. <laughs> but yeah, at my wedding, uh, he did wear dhoti and they swung the deities. It was the last day of, of uh, Rasa Yatra. And there's a there was a funny photo of him. He was like like this. And I asked him, you know, what are you doing? His eyes were like huge. And he said, oh, he was taking great satisfaction because he was throwing grains in the sacrificial fire. And Uddhava, who, was, who I was marrying, was sitting in front of him. So when he would throw the grains, they would stick to the back of his head. <laughs> so he said he was taking great pleasure in seeing that. Yeah. That is so funny because that same thing with my, 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 with, with Karnamrita when he, he had a first marriage and same thing, his father came intoxicated to his wedding and he was throwing the rice in the back of his head and sticking. <laughs> they, they had some similar, that's, that's funny. So funny. Yeah. And his, his personality was kind of like Archie Bunker, you know, he was, bigoted sexist you know not really a kind person but he was a broken man yeah. so can't really expect more than that yeah so he did get that opportunity to come to the temple and throw rice at yep back of the <laughs> set where Dodi and, <laughs> and swing the deities and swing the deities I mean really that's pretty 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 amazing so what was it that finally, what, what was it that really called you to, to take up bhakti out of all the, you know, you, you had the Catholic back, you know, background and you had your very lovely grandmother that probably would have loved to see you become a nun or something. So 
Yeah. What, what had you, what had you go in the, you know, what captured your heart with Bhakti? Well, one quick thing I wanted to say about my grandma, um, she, when she was dying, she was like in a, um, a coma, but, and they wouldn't let children see patients at that time. You know, rules have changed now. I probably, now I, you could probably go in and see, but I wasn't able to, to visit. And my, my mother was really upset because she thought that if I would see her, that she would revive, she would be revived. Wow. So that was like so much pressure on me. I was, I think I was like five years old and to, to have somebody, you know, want that of me to be able to do that and then not being able was kind of dramatic. Wow. Anyway, okay. so next part was how, what made me actually take up the path? Well, I survived through growing up <laughs> through college and I was going, I was attending Penn State, but it really was still the same theme. You know, I had done everything I was supposed to do. I was a good student, I was a good daughter. I was, you know, I just was the model citizen and I was just miserable. You know, there was just nothing there. It was bleh. So <laughs> I also believed in the philosophy of Jonathan Livingston Siegel, where we know everything we need to know. We just don't know that we know it. So there came a point where I really felt I can't go any further. I cannot take myself any further. I need a teacher. So I called my friend that lived in Florida. I was in Pennsylvania. I called him and I, I tried to get a, a phone number to reach a mutual friend of ours, a guy that I saw, you know, bloom a hand, bloom a flower in his hand at a party. Because to me, that was the only, that was like the only thing that I had seen in my environment that I felt would take me to another level. I had reached my ceiling as far as I could go. There is nothing here for me. That's it. Now what do I do? So later that week, I, um, <clears throat> my friend took me to a meditation class on campus. So I'm like, oh, whatever, sure. So I was sitting there and in walks this I don't even person, we'll say person. And he was just glowing. He had, he was wearing saffron from tip to toe. He had on like the saffron hat, a saffron jacket, all the way down to saffron socks and shoes and a dhoti. And he was just glowing. And as soon as he, I was just so attracted. And as soon as he opened his mouth, I was like, I, need to listen to him he has he has the key he knows what i what i need to know that i don't know so as he i just loved everything 
about him that he was doing, the way he unbuttoned his jacket, all these things were just, it was so fluid and musical and it was just beautiful. And then he started telling about what we're gonna learn in the class in the, you know, this meditation course. And we're gonna learn how we're not this body and how um, there's no enjoyment. You know, he didn't say it exactly like this, but this is what my, I heard, you know, there's no enjoyment in the material world. There's nothing here for us. So it's like, oh my God, I already know this. And he, here's this person that I instantly respect and he's saying this, mm. now I really have no hope. So we're going around the room and he's asking everybody what they're looking for by coming there. And I, and I just said, what do you do if you already know that? And I was crying and I left the room wow. and I didn't go back. Um, several months later, my that same friend, she dragged me to the temple for a Sunday feast. She was a vegetarian. I wasn't vegetarian at the time. And I was walking up to the table and the devotee was there. His name is Stambadas. And he looked at me and he said, oh, look, it's long lost Linda. You are such a fool. <laughs> <laughs> and instantly he just like cracked open my heart and I was like he knows me he he truly sees through everything and knows that I am such a fool and he says you, uh, you let me pull the rug out from under you but you didn't wait long enough for me to give you Krishna so that was that <laughs> I stayed <laughs> So somehow uh, you, <clears throat> you needed that, those months somehow, somehow. Do you, do you have any, like looking back on it, how that might've served you to be more receptive to that moment? No, I don't, I don't have any memory of those months. I just mm -hmm. remember um, those significant times, but he, he did tell me that he had devotees watching for me because he thought for sure I was going to kill myself. Wow. But little did he know that I didn't believe in that. I knew it would not solve the problem. I don't want to have to come back and do it all over again. No. So now I don't care, but whatever. <laughs> I can come back. As long as I'm in association of devotees and engaged, no problem. So that's a real tribute to the advancement that you've made in this lifetime to come to that understanding. And Well, I can say that now. Let's see what's happening, you know, at the end. When I'm on my deathbed, I'll see how I, what I say then. You can interview me again. <laughs> I don't think I'll be around here. <laughs> oh, I hope so. I think, I think I'll definitely be going before you. Yeah. So, so at that point, did you, what, what happened after that? Did you start up? I started going, I started going to the temple and being, you know, taking up services there and stuff. And um, kind of a, a strange thing happened, which extricated me from my life, um, which is so, really quite amazing and awesome. 
the I was living with this guy on campus. Um, he was supposed to have graduated already, but he flunked out. So uh, we were, I thought the relationship would end, you know, at the end of the semester, but no, <laughs> he flunked out and, and we had to go to summer school. So anyway, we got an apartment and um, he was going to the temple with me also. He was from uh, Nicaragua, mm -hmm. a very crude kind of person, <laughs> but whatever. Um, so we were going to the temple together and we both decided that we were gonna follow the regulative principles and start chanting Japa and you know, like really take it up. And within that week, um, I found out I was pregnant. So <laughs> um, that was well, a life thickens. <laughs> that was a life changer. Um, I would go to the temple and I didn't tell them, but I couldn't take prashadam anymore. Like the spices and stuff would really make me ill. So this devotee, he just kept giving me from the temple, he'd give me melons and fruit, you know, to take home with me. I don't know why, but he he was just so kind to have done that. And so now I, you know, I had to face the decision, what am I gonna do? I knew I definitely did not want to partner with this person. He, this guy has gotta be out of the picture. Um, mm -hmm. So I was supposed to be a resident assistant the next semester at Penn State, which would pay for my room and board and half my tuition. So somehow, for some crazy reason, they still allowed me to be an RA, even though they knew I was pregnant. So here I'm supposed to be a role model and I'll be a pregnant college student, unwed. Okay, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, at first it's like, it turned my whole life upside down because now the image that others had of me was kind of tainted. You know, um, I now I wasn't the perfect person. The dreams that my parents had for me probably were not going to manifest in the way they had pictured. Um, you know, things that I had envisioned about the future, that picture changed. So it kind of cut the cords to predetermined future um, interesting yeah so i mean it really liberated me mm -hmm. from a trajectory that i was on so eventually i you know came to accept the child want the child and you know, I had these images, oh, I'll just leave it in a basket at Gitanagari with a note, you know, please raise this child as a devotee. Because <laughs> I didn't think I could ever be a devotee, but I wanted my kid to be a devotee. So at um, three months, I had a miscarriage, which once again, turned my life upside down and 
totally liberated me from all of those plans that included a child. Mm. So what happened then is I ended up with a clean slate. Mm. I was free to do and be anything I wanted to. People's expectations for me were totally dashed. And I was, um, I was free. Mm. And I'll, I'll share some humiliating uh, details. When I was a child, I wanted to have Christ as my child. Mm. And I thought, I can honestly, I can remember the conversation I had in my head. The other part in my head was like, well, you know, you are not special. Mary was special. You're not special. So the other side of the argument was, but maybe he just wants an ordinary person now. Maybe he just wants to be born to an ordinary person. <laughs> so <clears throat> the embarrassing thing is um, having been a new devotee and learned that Krishna has a mother and he has a family and this and that, that desire to have Christ as my child kind of um, glossed you know, was laid over Krishna. So I thought maybe this is, maybe this is Krishna. <laughs> and he just wants to go to an ordinary person. <laughs> so, okay. I know it's totally embarrassing, but whatever, here's my guts. Um, when I was new. I was new. Okay. Very young. Charming. I find it really charming. I was very new in this philosophy. (laughs) So um, when I was in the hospital having this miscarriage, um, I didn't want to take any drugs, of course, because that's breaking the regulative principles. So I didn't take any drugs. And I would pass in a container so I could see the fetus because I wanted to know if it was blue. (laughs) okay there it is (laughs) repeat that i totally love it so the amazing thing is that there was no fetus wow the whole thing was precious trick trick totally to get me extricated from my life. That is beautiful. That's really beautiful. And it was perfect. It was perfect. And I was free to do whatever I want. And I went directly to the temple. And I asked Samba, why do people have miscarriages? And he said, it's the karma of the mother, the karma of the the baby. And when are you going to start chanting Japa? Like, that's how it went. And I said, okay right now so that was it and then i became more full full-time devotee full-time devotee part-time college student That's amazing. yeah he rented he rented an apartment for me and this other bakhtin to stay in because it was a he had a brahmachari ashram and the house was upstairs a couple of rooms for brahmacharis there was no room for women, women. so he, he rented us um an apartment and we moved in there 
and then I was doing, but I wanted, I didn't want to finish school, but he insisted that I finish mm -hmm. school. And you got a degree in psychology, right? Individual and family studies. Because mm -hmm. I, I really feel that the environment um, is so important on how people, what people think, how they act, how they feel. You can you can help a person become healthy, and then you put them in an unhealthy environment, and you know, yeah. sangha. It's all about association. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, that was a, a very moving story, and I love how you were able to see it all like that. How it was so perfectly extricated you from. Yeah, and I was seeing that as it was, as it was happening, I was seeing that that's what was going on here. Yeah, so you were quite wise, very wise. I don't know about why. Yeah, kind of you were wise. Kind of hit you in the face kind of wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so now we could say then everything would, would work out happily ever after. You, you, you got extricated from material life and, and you had a blank slate and you were starting all over and you had the holy name, you had association, you had prasadam, you had everything. Like all of us who come to Krishna, <laughs> it's like that. We think everything is going to be perfect from here on in. And there's no- And it has been. <laughs> it has, it has been. been. So tell me about how things developed for you and what were the challenges that you you came because the challenges are there. We understand. I think we we all understand the challenges that are there. To, as I love how Padmanabha Swami talks about upgrading our bhakti, and they come. The challenges come as a way to upgrade and to help us move to the next level. Yeah, I've really been thinking about that since you asked me to do this interview, and <laughs> I mean I'm really lame in that department because. I can't think of any challenges. I, and that's, for me, that's a challenge because then I think, well, I must not be applying myself. I'm not struggling enough because I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not experiencing struggle. So I must not be struggling and therefore I must not well, struggle, struggle may, may, maybe you don't struggle, but there are definitely challenges. I mean, I, I've watched your life and I, I could, I could, I've seen lots of things that have been, been challenges. And I don't even remember them anymore. So <laughs> that's a good thing about getting old. You know, you got to purge that memory bank and I mean, that crap just doesn't stick. I don't know. I mean, I know that it's valuable, but um, if I did experience challenges, I just hope that I um, took the nugget of what I needed to learn and built my life on that going forward but not hang on to what the challenge or struggle itself was. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I, can I honestly can I can't think of one. I'm sure can you could remind me yeah, and then yeah, I could get into I can, it. Well, I, I think, think I could just it, go but. back, not even very far, but 
Um, like we had said, Bhakti Ras was running an ashram and it was not really intended to be, what was it, eight years or something? That you eight years. It? Eight years. It was supposed to be a temporary situation while Sargrahi got built and then there would be facility for the devotees to go and live on the land in nice cabins and facilities. And so that was, that was the plan. And um, it stretched into eight years and it was, I saw it was a challenging time. It was a challenging time for, for you to go through that and, and for your husband too, because. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's where my challenge was, was somehow keeping, <clears throat> you know, he wanted, he, Dole wanted to get involved. He had his own personal reasons for getting involved in Sargrahi, which I, I wouldn't want to speak on his behalf about, but I can say honestly that a lot of his motivation was to facilitate my relationship with my Guru Maharaj. Um, that my husband is, I'm probably gonna cry. He's such a selfless facilitator mm. and he really wants to be of service to others. Beautiful. If you know him and know how important, um, Um, his environment is his, the aesthetics of his environment. You'll know how much he's sacrificed. And that was probably my biggest challenge. Mm. Yeah, that was, that was a really, that was very difficult and as a couple, you, you both, I mean, you, you also, you know, had to, yeah, I mean, there, you had a very kind of ideal situation. I, I don't have anything to lose. This is, devotional service is it for me. Serving devotees, pleasing my spiritual master, that's, mm -hmm. that's it. I don't have anything else that I want or anything else to lose. I don't need to be comfortable. I don't need those things. And I don't hold it against people who do need those things. But I don't need those things. So therefore, struggle, challenge, what is that? You know, it's sacrifice. Sacrificing what? I, had, I have nothing to sacrifice. There's yeah. So then, so then I would interject that there was when Sargrahi, when yet that was your service, and yeah. had been your service for all those years, and then suddenly that service ended. Yeah. So I think I'm still, that might. I'm still kind of devastated from that. Um, I'm still in a grieving period over that. Um, the value 
that that project held in service to devotees was monumental. Um, how much Guru Maharaj wanted that project was, was huge. And now he says, and again, I don't want to speak for my guru, just more than I don't want to speak for my husband, but um, you know, he says it has, it's worked out. It's worked out, you know, people have moved on. For some people, it's even better. Um, but that project, his vision for it was the third prong of what he wanted to offer and leave in the world. Um, perhaps it has to do with his name, Tripurari, three cities, you know. So not being able to assist now you're going to make me cry again. It's okay. It's Not okay. being able to assist in the manifesting of his vision is huge. <sighs> I aspire to have such a consciousness, Bhakti Ross. So, so inspiring to me. Well, he, you know, I was visiting him in Madhavan for the very first time. And uh, we were sitting outside. I think it was Gorsundar Prabhu's cabin. And uh, the cat came out of the window and stepped down on Gurmaraj's shoulder and walked down his chest and sat on his lap. And I had not um, even, I hadn't really accepted him as my guru yet. Although I um, obviously recognized the importance, what he has to offer and what a beautiful and amazing devotee he is. I just didn't know that it was possible actually. So anyway, that's another story. But um, so we were sitting there and he just started telling me his vision that he had about a project that he's always wanted to do. And he, he said that it came up at your dining room table, Archana. That was the birth of this. Mm. And he explained it in detail. And I mean, he imparted that in my heart. It's like I became impregnated with the vision of what he wanted to manifest. Mm. And like you said earlier, I'm a manifester. So at the end of him describing what he wants to do for the community of devotees, how he wants a project that facilitates monks, students, families, the elderly, you know, it all just bloomed in my, my mind. And then at the end, he said, so what do you think? I said, let's do it. So I came back and my husband, I told my husband and he was like, 
well, you, you have to do it. We have to do this, of course. So we started looking for land online and, you know, that was like in um, November of some year. And by January, uh, I was out looking at property with a realtor and Dulal and I would come and sometimes Mudan, I think Mudan had joined at that time. Some other devotees would come and look at land also. And then March, Gurmaraj came and we bought the property in April. So, uh, you know, what Krishna was doing, I have no bloody idea. Um, you know, with the whole extricating my me from my life thing, I could actually... I could see Krishna's hand in it and why he was doing what he was doing with this over the last eight years. I have no idea. So um, I just have to accept it and, and work with what I have and what the devotees are kind enough to engage me with. So can, can I ask a question as far as, because there's transformation. We all transform when we go through these kind of situations. And what do you see different about yourself now as compared to eight years ago, nine years ago now? And you know, what's, what's different about you? I don't know. I can't process. I haven't processed it. Okay. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If anything, I'm feeling more selfish. Nothing good. Nothing good is coming out of it. I'm feeling um, more selfish and not wanting to, to give as much. Um, so I wonder, I wonder if what you're, I mean, because only good comes out. Are you going to analyze me right here? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just, I, because, just because, you know, we've all gone through these things and I mean, I went through the, you know, we moved to Sargrahi and we, I know. you know, we had our, you know, so many, so many things, um, for all of us and, and yeah, I, I see things in my heart. I, you know, I, when you said that, yeah, the self, I feel like there's something more selfish and less, but, but I, I think that it's a necessary part of the process of what's going on. I see it as like, from just because of my personality type and who I am and just, needing to do things more and this is my you know for me that you know I've always kind of done things more to please other people without really understanding my own needs and what so I think Krishna has put me in that situation to help me become more aware of really what my needs are and how I can be the most you know it's like the the crocodile and the elephant story, Gajendra, you know, when you're actually able to fight from your, um, 
from where, you know, what the, your strength, you know, the, the crocodile was in the water. So he, Gajendra was pulled into the water and he couldn't fight it and he lost his strength. So I, I see that a lot of times in my life, I've gone in the water with, with a crocodile and lost my strength as a person. So I've seen that, that there's been this, you know, these situations Krishna puts me in, that there is this transformation of more understanding my psychophysical nature. Yeah, so, I, I think those lessons might come in the future. But for me, although you are my dear friend and we have known each other for decades and I love you, we are very different. We are very different. Yes. And I'm my, not sharing my story to say that's your story, but I'm just yeah, sharing yes. to say that. It, it gives me something to bounce off of. Um, <clears throat> it's, I get my strength by serving people, <laughs> whether it's a material, materially inspired um, thing, a psychological defect, I don't care, I'll use it. Um, I'll take it. If it, if it allows me to serve devotees and Vaishnavas in their service, what they want to do in the world, fine. I'll be a crazy person. Um, so, you know, I'm just like a little lost by not having that source of strength. Um, but it gives opportunities to develop other sources, but it's definitely my, my core. So my core is, you know, my nuclear core is dissipated. Um, and I don't really feel that powerhouse thing anymore, like you had described. I feel more like Krishna has left the planet and has taken all of my abilities with him. I, there's, you know, you talk about what I did in the past, cook for a hundred people and this, you know, the feast that I've done here, like you said, I have all I can do to cook for dual and myself and all we eat is salad. So <laughs> there's not even cooking going on. So I feel that with the, the loss of it has gone all of my abilities and all of my strengths, which you know, just leaves me with perhaps more truth. So, um, so what, what was just see where it goes. Where, where did Arjuna go when that happened to him? <clears throat> I don't know where he went. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when Krishna took He went him. into despair. He went into despair. No, he really did. But then he got strength from remembering the conversation he had with, with Krishna. And that gave him an internal strength. Yeah, he, he withdrew all those powers. He didn't need them anymore for what Krishna had in Yeah, I don't, need, I don't need all that stuff anymore. I'm just here taking two cow, care of two cows. And um, I don't need to know how to cook for 100 people anymore. <laughs> I'm actually getting rid of all my big pots. Wow. 
So it's a, it's a, you're in transformation. You're, you're transforming and you haven't quite gotten to the point yet where you. Yeah, no, I, I haven't found the nugget yet. You haven't found your nugget. I haven't found the nugget and I haven't yeah. integrated. Um, I'm still, you know, seeing what, what's going on. And that's, <clears throat> I know it's, uh, no, it's not by, by my doing. That's for sure. Right. right. Um, and but it's the faith that you, you know, you have the faith that it, somehow this is all ordained and you're, <laughs> what else is it? Yeah. There isn't anything else. Right. Right. So that's, I couldn't, you know. I couldn't possibly do it and I couldn't possibly undo it. You know, to say what with your one, with your two hands, if Krishna wants to give you something, how much can you hold? With your two hands, if Krishna wants to take away, how much can you hold? Nothing. And maybe, you know, Krishna also has, you know, you're, you do have an aging body. I mean, watch it. <laughs> it's healthier now, though. It's healthier now. But, but in terms of all of us, you know, it's like the services that we did with our bodies and, you know, cooking for 100 people and building things and, that's not going to take there. away my hammer and saw. No, you can't. It's not happening. Saw. You can still have your hammer and saw. But, okay. but the classes that you've been giving, the Bhakti Rats, you did not want to give a class. You were, you were and, so resistant. And I still and don't. I, and I pray that he doesn't ask me again ever. <laughs> you said that after the first class you gave. And you I know. And now I'm practicing saying no. <laughs> So we have to take care of ourselves, right, Archana? <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, I think Krishna has some very different, you know, not different services, but using more of the faculties that you will have till you're a hundred years old that you'll oh, to continue. Light your tongue. Um, well, you know, I think a lot of my attitude about Krishna comes from you. In those early days, you you would always say, you know, the deity's name was Madan Mohan. Madan Mohan, he has an ace up his sleeve for you. You would always say that. <laughs> so I think I've just, you know, integrated that into my consciousness and just know that Krishna has an ace up his sleeve. Yes, absolutely. And he does. And I say it. I mean, I, I know you're, you are going to be used in service in ways that you can't even imagine. I mean, you, yeah, it's just not, you, it hasn't been revealed to you yet, but I know that Krishna will fulfill your desires beyond anything <laughs> that you could ever imagine. And he has to take into consideration the well-being of my husband. Yeah, he does. Yeah, you're a team. You're a team. But he's, you know. I, want, I really want to serve my husband in his service of giving classes because he's yeah, awesome. He's, he's awesome. Yeah. So that service has continued for you. And 
yeah, I just, yeah, such a bright future. And you did sacrifice so much. I know you didn't feel like a sacrifice for you, but you will certainly have all your desires for service. Well, I mean, the sacrifice is as bad as like, will you sacrifice this chocolate ice cream for this strawberry ice cream? Or will you (laughs) sacrifice, you know, burning hot coals for ice cream? You know, what's this real sacrifice? What are you giving up? No. Well, I could say, okay, I'll you change the word. Um, you did many services that were very pleasing to your guru and to, to Krishna. So that's up to him. So yeah, that's up to him. <clears throat> so it's very hard for Bhakti Ross to take any kind of appreciation, any kind. So she's going to throw it back no. to me. Because <laughs> I'm a glory hound and I, I have to fight against it. <laughs> Aha, she has nothing to say about that. <laughs> I think we're out of time. Well, we have to ask questions, see if anyone oh, okay. has any questions, but we they may not. We have a small group. So what's up Sakirati's on and she usually she's usually good for a question or two. Um, does anybody have a question they would like to ask Bhakti Ross at this time? We have few maybe not can I just I just want to say something okay Sumati I just want to thank her for just her beautiful raw honest (laughs) presentation I love you Sumati I love you too, so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so, Sumati was in the ashram for a number of years, so she saw a lot. She was, she saw. She tolerated me. Lots of what? service that was being offered to the Lord's Lotus Feet every day from Bhakti Ross and her own. She also was very. She's a giver and uh, yeah, a lot of beautiful things in Sagarahi. So there's a- um, showed me what is the real service spirit. Beautiful. So there is a a comment from uh, Caroline to Bhakti Ross is so inspiring. Thank you for your depth and sincerity. I feel like you are someone I would like to get to know more. <laughs> well, you know how to find me. <laughs> how can she find you? What's what's the method to find Bhakti Ross? I mean, I'm on Facebook. Okay. And okay, you can so message you me and I'll send you my email. There we go. And Sakirati didn't let me down. She said, I write the question because my internet is not so good. That was such a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for all the service you're constantly doing for the devotees. When are you coming to Madhavan? Uh, You have to check the ace up Krishna's sleeve. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, Sakirat, do you have to check to see what that that card? Maybe she that's not maybe something that she's familiar with. But might not be in the cards. <laughs> might not be in the cards this this time. So any other questions or comments from the devotees? Well, thank you, Bhakti Rasam. I am really grateful to you for coming on, even though I know you were resisting it with, in every way you could to try to get around it, but <laughs> she, she, she did. She did come on and had a beautiful, a lot of really wonderful things to share. And um, yeah, we'll interview you next year and see if that nuggets appear. I find a nugget. Yeah, see if the nuggets we find. So to date. To date. To date. So thank you so much. And yeah. all glories. Thanks everybody for tolerating me. <laughs> all glories to the wonderful devotees and all our wonderful association that we have. Hare Krishna, Jai. Hare Krishna.